Welcome, welcome. Really good to see you always. And um, I hope you're having that kind of evening where you, you, you sense a connection. Thank you, Anna, so much. Serving your dad, it's wonderful. <laughs> He's been waiting for that for 25 years. But I just want to say something, because just as we worship, and, and I think Nay did so well just to, to step in there, and Jamie to just invite prayer. I, I just feel I need to speak it out, so this is nothing to do with the evening, or it might be, maybe, maybe it is actually. Um, but uh, what I saw in Portland House, the offices next door, under the stairs, there's a number of pictures of people who have been part of this church family uh, going back a lot of years, you know, they're kind of to the Victorians and, and whatever. And uh, we were singing at that time, same God, and we're thinking back through that line of history to, uh, you know, to mo- the faithfulness of Moses in response to the faithfulness of God, the faithfulness of David in response to the faithfulness of God, of Mary, and on and on and on. And uh, I just feel that the Lord is inviting us to, to sharpen our awareness of that dynamic, of the history and the legacy of which we're a part in our generation and of the fact that it's all sweeping towards the end. The spiritual temperature is rising. You don't need me to tell you that. There's a certain kind of focus. There's a sink or swimness. And and we respond to the faithfulness of God. That's what we've been singing about. We stand on the faithfulness of God. And because of his faithfulness to us, we respond in that place. And the question I think he's asking us is, are we, two, two questions, are we faithful and are we faithful, as in full of faith? And it was, I was reminded, I felt the Lord remind me of that verse where he says, when the Son of Man comes, because he's coming, will he find, and what's the next word? Faith on the earth. He doesn't say competence, doesn't say all kinds of things that it could have said, which would be good, but when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith? And so I, I just I, I saw in my mind's eye, I believe it's from the Lord, a kind of fr- another framed photo of our time, this bunch of people that call Trinity Cheltenham their church, their, their local church family, and what will be said of us at that point? What, what will be said of, of us now? And how does that impact how we feel? Maybe that you're a visitor here tonight, tonight and you're so, so welcome. We love having visitors or you're trying us out. You're not sure where you stand in matters of faith. That's all really cool. You're so welcome. But in the room, there's a whole body, body of people who, who absolutely are. And that is what one of the things that the Lord is saying to us. Where, as we stand on the faithfulness of God in the tectonic plates of culture and everything else is shaking, all kinds of stuff going on, uh, our response in faithfulness in our turn to him, being faithful, good and well done, good and faithful servant. That's the commendation at the end, isn't it? And when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith? That's what he's looking for. So that's what we're praying for. And the eyes of the Lord roam over the earth, 2 Chronicles 16, looking to strengthen the hearts of those who are committed to him. And they're connected, aren't they? And that is a neat segue into, into where we're at tonight. So I just want to say that because I believe the Lord's speaking that over us. We share this together. We grow together. We're not individuals in the room. We, we, we learn in community. So um, talking about community, here we are. We're a community tonight. Um, slightly different format. You can see that um, as it was last week. But So different vibe, if you like. But same objective. Objective is to hear the voice of God, isn't it? That's it. Through we've got a lovely panel. They're going to introduce themselves briefly just now, but we're, we're listening uh, for the voice of God in this. And what's He doing to stir our faithfulness and our and our faith? And because He wants to strengthen the hearts of those who are committed to Him. That's good news, right? Um, okay, very good. So, hello, panel, lovely friends. Thanks for being here. Say a quick word about who you are, just for the people who might not know. Hi, uh, I'm John. Um, I'm married to Sue. 
we have two children, Anna and Luke, and we've been around Trinity, or Sue and I have been around Trinity for 25 years. This should be some sort of silver anniversary or something for you. <laughs> My name's Lauren. Um, I've been at Trinity just over a year. Um, I have a 10-month-old, so if you see me yawning, that is not a reflection of how I'm enjoying this evening. Um, I'm Rachel. I'm married to Terry, and I've been here, I want to say 12 years, but it might be 13, and I have a very angry cat called Bob. <laughs> <laughs> Love, love that. So welcome. Th thanks for, for being here. And we'll, we'll kind of see how this rolls. I know the time will go quickly. I uh, just want to start with a picture, actually. I showed this a couple of weeks ago to you lot, uh, two or three weeks ago. In the, uh, We're thinking about Daniel. We're being inspired by Daniel. And uh, we've got a milkshake and a grapefruit there. And the grapefruit just reminded us that he was not somebody who divided his life up into compartments. He didn't speak about his gym life and his work life and his... Uh, his financial life and his prayer life or his church life or his friendship life or his family life in the way that we kind of can. We were inspired to, to be reminded, thanks Tim, that, um, that, that rather like a milkshake, his relationship with God affected absolutely everything. Every area of his life came under the lordship of God. It's a very simple image, but I just want us to, to hold it as we consider these things, because we're in a little three-week series, and in a sense, what we're asking is, what does it mean to say that Jesus is Lord of this part of my life? To what extent is he involved in it? And tonight, you're thrilled to know, because Naomi's teed it up for us, what does it mean to ask this question, what does it look like for Jesus to be Lord of my money? And you've got about 30 seconds just to react to that to a neighbor, if that's okay. Instant reaction to that question. What does it look like for Jesus to be Lord of my money? If you call Jesus Lord, you'd say you're a follower of Jesus, how do you react to that question? You've got about 30 seconds. Just have a quick dive in there. <laughs> Okay, that's, um, that's not nearly long enough for you to say anything sensible, but it, it is long enough just to begin to get a grip on what that provokes in you. And, and, and right off the bat, I want to ask one, maybe John, you've got the mic. Um, when you look at a title like that, John, and somebody's been on the road with Jesus a long time, we know that as challenging as that is, and in the, in the crowd here, there'll be you know, some challenging kind of reactions, there's always good news, because Jesus is good news. So when you consider that, what, where do you see the good news in asking a question like that? What's positive? We can understand the challenge of it, but is God kind of mean and stingy and wants us to walk around in sackcloth? Or um, where, where, do, where do you find the positive in a question like that? So for me, and we, we may come on to it, um, well, for us, our testimony really is one of, first of all, trying to get before God and listen to what he's saying which in itself can be difficult, <laughs> um, particularly around money, and then being obedient, actually doing what he says. Um, and that carries sometimes, obviously, lots of fear. It's a scary prospect. But our testimony is one of 
provision um, and also real freedom. Mm. Mm. Thank you. Anyone want to add, do you want, do you want to add something, Lauren? I, I would second that freedom point, that that's the good news. It takes the pressure off, hmm. um, and that's amazing. Thank you. Because there'll be plenty of opposition, but there are plenty of voices that go, oh, gosh, that paint a picture. The enemy is, is, is the master of deception, that paint a picture that this is really bad news. Uh, and the kind of caricature of, of a God who kind of, you know, is a bus conductor and wants our money and, and that sort of thing. No, th no Jesus said, I, I came that you'd have life, life in all its... He's an abundant father. Uh, he, we, we say in our family, he's not a pie God. Where the, where the, if somebody gets a, a, a portion, then there's not enough left for somebody else. So let's bear that in mind as we think about what is, frankly, a challenging issue. Of course it is, because money, sex, and power are the three things that have particular power over us. Jesus spoke a lot about all three of those. He spoke a lot about money. We've only got time to scratch the surface. On that point then, um, Lauren, perhaps I could ask you, we are going to dive into some scripture. Uh, you, it might be good to have it open if you wanted it. Uh, Lauren's just going to read something from Luke 12, a little story from Luke 12 that Jesus told, and then Rachel's going to um, follow on a, a little bit later in the chapter um, with some more, some more verses. So they're not on the screen tonight, so you either find them, Luke chapter 12, um, about halfway through from verse 15, or just listen carefully. Great. Jesus said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I'll store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night of your, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will, who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things, and your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Thanks, so good. That's Luke 12. And again, if we're following uh, up these Sunday messages, I hope it's something that we'll be discussing in, in groups and pondering. Um, so, as always, it's not really about behavior in the first place. It's about the heart, treasure, and trust. I often say that money isn't really about money in the end. It's about what lies beneath it, which is trust. And that's where we'll go a little bit um, uh, this evening. There's a phrase that is sometimes used which says, money talks, um, because money is influential, money is powerful. And so we're going to imagine what money would say if money could talk tonight. And I'm not quite sure how far we'll get through it. And I want to present uh, and, and invite the panel to, to contribute around these, these uh, quotes, if you like, about what money would say, but two different mouthpieces. So the money... The way that money would talk, where money is part of the, what, what the verse has just described as the pagan culture, sounds a bit offensive, doesn't mean to be, but the, the, what the Bible called the world around us, the culture which, which does not put Jesus at the center, which does not seek first his kingdom. We'll, we'll call it worldly money for shorthand, okay? What, would world, what does worldly money say? What does the culture say 
uh, about that? What are the kind of expectations and values? And by contrast, so that's kind of united kingdom, if you like, what does the kingdom of God say? So if money could talk, what would it say? Let's have the first one up. How about this? Shorthand. Worldly money says something like, worship me. I'm the kind of top of the pile, and I'll deliver the things that you want in your life for happiness and fulfillment. Kingdom money might say something a bit different. Kingdom money would say worship God and serve him only. And Jesus goes on to say, famously, you cannot serve God and mammon. Mammon's just a word for money. You can't serve God and, God and money. He doesn't say don't serve God and money. He says you can't. It's impossible. They can't be on the same level. One has to be higher than the other. In the end, we all worship something or someone. And uh, Jesus says you, you, you can't do, do both. Uh, but we do treasure things. We're made to treasure things, and that's really important. Uh, and worship is saying, well, what's my top treasure? And just before I ask John to dive in on this, let me read you a, a verse about that. Psalm 115 it talks about their idols, the things that they worship, are silver and gold, the work of their hands, and those that make them become like them. Probably heard that before. We become like, more like what we worship. So if, for example, we treasure power, we will end up being shaped by arrogance and control. If we treasure physical appearance, we'll end up being shaped by vanity and the discouragement that comes with aging, which I'm knowing about. If I treasure uh, material comfort and security, I will be shaped by fear. You get the picture? If I treasure pleasure-seeking, I'll be shaped by boredom, lack of purpose. If I treasure approval, here's a big one, I'll be shaped by insecurity and other people's opinions. So, if I treasure money and stuff in our context, if that's what I worship, I will be shaped by greed, ultimately, and dissatisfaction. So this business of what we worship, the culture says worship money because it's the passport to everything, and kingdom money says, no, worship God, serve for money, seek first his kingdom. John, how have you journeyed in your mindset then, attitude towards money, in a way that means you don't worship it? So um, I wanted to just touch on um, sort of a couple of examples I can give from my uh, work, from employment. So I've, um, I, I've got a legal background and I've been fortunate and um, blessed enough to, um, from sort of leaving uni, to be in employment. Um, and the, about 18 years ago, um, I was in a a job in Birmingham, I love my job, and um, when praying, and that's what we've always sought to do, as I said earlier, is to pray, get before God, and listen to what he wants me, us to do, and how to live our lives. So 2004, um, I heard God say to me, I want you to go down to four days a week in my job, and um, as I say, I love my job, and I wasn't sure why you know, I needed to go down to part-time. Anyway, uh, we were obedient. I was obedient. It meant a loss of income. Um, but as it turned out, what we found is that it just provided um, an opportunity for our lifestyle to be more contented. We had two young children. We had a, uh, a better pace of life. Uh, Sue and I could do things together. Sometimes on a Friday, we could spend quality time together. We just weren't rushing around um, 
having a stressful life with two young children. So we felt that there was great blessing in, in that. And he, he provided for us. We had an income. We lived within our income. Um, but it was a time of great blessing. In 2012, I was in the same job. So I've, I've worked four days a week part-time uh, for most of the last 18 years. Um, in 2012, I was in the same job, was still loving my job. Um, there was a restructuring, which meant that uh, the level I was at, there was um, some redundancies, uh, and my employer called for some anyone to volunteer. And I was adamant that I was going to stay because I loved my job, it was secure, it was stable, it provided a good income. And I told my employer, um, I want to stay. Uh, if they didn't get two volunteers, then there would be a compulsory process. We had to make a decision by the Monday, and on the Sunday night, I had a dream. And in my dream, um, and it was quite terrifying, uh, I was at the top of a massive tower, and I was on the edge, on a precipice, and it was really, really scary. And as God sort of revealed more of the picture to me, he took me to the top of the tower, and it was actually a swimming pool. And it turned into a picture of absolute joy and freedom. I could see faces of people at church. I could see faces of people who I knew, uh, my non-church friends. And they were just having an amazing time. And I felt God say to me, just take the leap, jump in and you will find joy that you've never felt or had before. So I went to work the next day, and I told my employer, I want to take redundancy, and they were totally gobsmacked. Um, they tried to persuade me to stay, uh, but I knew God had spoken, and therefore we had to be obedient. And I didn't have a job to go to, it was meant a loss of income. We had some money from the redundancy. I didn't know where I would get a job. I didn't know if I'd get a job. I didn't know, know how we would sort of manage to, you know, keep our standard of living going. But I knew in my heart that I had to do it. And having done it, as I said, I've never felt such joy and in particular freedom in knowing that I'd been obedient to God and he had our backs mm. and he would provide for us. Mm. And he did. Mm. Um, I was out of work for a while. Um, it offered an opportunity to get more involved in the ministry of Trinity and King's Table in particular. Uh, that was a great time. And then God eventually uh, got me back into employment and I've never looked back. Mm. And I think that's one of the key things that I've learned is that when you know that God has spoken and you're obedient, you have such faith because you know that God has done it once and he'll do it again. And so my testimony is one of obedience and faith. John, thank you so much. There's so much in that, clearly, and we don't have time to explore all of it. But I'm just so struck that in the end, this is not complicated. It might be really, really difficult, but what you have described, John, is 
what it looks like to be committed. I know you're not saying you're perfect. No, clearly, you know, we're not saying that, obviously. But you've set your stall out to be obedient to God as your number one priority, as, as it just said. Worship God, seek first his kingdom. So hearing God, and therefore, when you've heard him, obeying him, is pretty much a summary of all you've said. And that's a, you've applied it to some very big decisions, some big life movements. And I, I'm imagining that you apply it to all kinds of other ones in, in relation to, to the finances that we're talking about, hearing God. Um, I'd love to ask you, can you answer this quite quickly? Um, what, are the, what are the main, you've, you've spoken about it, you said about a dream, about a prophecy and about a God said. What the, what's the main way that you hear God in relation to forming a faithful attitude towards money and stuff? Yeah, I mean, it's getting before God and being prepared, being prepared to listen and not just right. ignore things. Okay. Yeah. Wow. There's a lot to explore right there. Thank you. Very good. Hold that and we'll, uh, we'll come back to you. Um, can, I'm just going to go straight to number two because uh, uh, I am. Can we, what, 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 world, worldly money says this. Uh, worldly money says, worry about me. Worry, 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 worry about me. Worry about me. And you'll notice in the passages, if, if you, you've got, still got the moment, G Jesus is saying, I think he says four times, even in those few verses, where, don't worry. Don't worry about me. Kingdom money says, pray about me. Not worry about me and trust the Lord as provider. We've heard, you know, something about that, and endless scriptures about that. Um, uh, not to worry and, and worry being kind of negative meditation. But frankly, why does Jesus say it? Because he knows that we worry. There isn't a person in the room who, do, who hasn't had some worry around finances or is currently having it. It's a battleground, right? We've got to be honest about that. And um, my lovely friend Rachel. You t tell us something of the battle that you've had, the, the tussle that you've had with worrying about money, uh, presumably not worrying about having too much, <laughs> I, I imagine. I wish. <laughs> Generally, the worry is around not having enough or will I have enough or whatever, and how you have approached that battle and how's it gone for you as you've wanted not to be driven by worry but wanted to be driven by, you know, respond to God in obedience. Yes, yeah, so... Um I became a Christian and for um, the first year I literally prayed, I want a closer relationship with you, God. And that's all I prayed. I didn't pray for anyone or anything other than that. Um, just, just say that again. That's an extraordinary thing just, just to hear. Just say, that. what was your one prayer for a year? I want a closer relationship with you, God. Okay. Um, and then I started, you know, progressing. Um, and I really felt God talk to me about um, tithing. Hmm. Um, and I was sorry, at the sorry, time... Sorry to interrupt. Te techni tithing, technical term, just for some who might not know, means? Giving 10% of what I was earning okay. back to God. Well, it's his anyway, but anyway. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then I came upon this verse, um, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And then it says, test me in this says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. And um, I, that really, I kept going back to, to that verse. Um, and so I decided, right, God, I, I re oh. <laughs> keep, keep going, maybe the battery's going in and out. Just carry okay. on, carry on. Um, I want to do this, but I'm frightened. I'm really scared. Yeah. At the time, I was yeah. um, an executive PA, and I was really earning silly money for what I was doing. Right. Um, and it just seemed a lot of money to me. Um, but I wanted to be obedient. I'd seen God begin yeah. to answer some prayers. Yeah. Um, 
And so I thought, well, if I can trust you in an eye appointment, you know, mm. I, you know, I can really trust you with mm. this. Mm. Um, and you said to test me, mm. so I'm going to test you. <laughs> um, so, but the only way I could do it because I was I was living off of five. I, I mean, I was earning this money, but still I was overdrawn, and I was living off an overdraft. And I thought, I'm just going to be more overdrawn. This is ridiculous, Rachel. So get a grip and don't do it. So I had this real <laughs> yeah. thing going on. Yeah, tussle. Yeah. It's a battle. Um, mm -hmm. So back in the day, I had to fill in a piece of paper, I think, with my details. and mm. piece of paper, I, I remember that. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> mm. So I gave it to someone and said, you better take that into the office and hand it in because... And, and so before that first payment went out... Now, what I will say is this is not a slot machine. <laughs> don't tithe to get, you have to do it from the heart, mm -hmm. you know, and I really wanted to be obedient, but, and I still to this day don't know how my overdraft cleared, um, you know, and God started blessing me. Right. Um, One point lot. before I ask you how, given another example of how you've experienced him provide for you when, you know, it doesn't mm -hmm. look logical, um, just want to draw attention to the fact that despite your worry, or what you did with your worry when you were fearful about making a decision which you knew to be obedient, but it was still difficult. And remember a couple of weeks ago we were talking about when our conviction outweighs our fear is when we're courageous to act. And that's what was going on. You had conviction, but you still had fear. What, what did you do with your fear? Did you hear what she said? What you didn't did keep say? it to yourself. <laughs> you just said you took it to the Lord. Oh, yes. <laughs> well, it... And I know you well oh, enough to know that that's natural because you're somebody who, in your walk of faith, whether you're whatever you're feeling, you've taken that to the Lord. And I just think that's really significant. Why do we love the Psalms? Because all of the feelings are there, right? Um, and so I didn't want to miss that bit. Just tell us again then a bit more about how you've seen God come through for you. Not in a, we, we hear what you say about not slot machine. It's not right. I'm obedient and God does the, you know, we win the lottery sort of thing. But how has he provided when you've I mean, trusted, uh, reached yeah. out and trusted? So, um, things like I, I got, someone gave me an envelope with money in once. Um, I don't know, we were at uh, Godspell in December and my glasses just broke on my face, it was weird. Mm -hmm. And I went to Boots the next day and they said, oh well, yes, we'll give you some new glasses and we'll upgrade your lenses, which were hundreds of pounds more. And I, I was like, hmm. Thank you, God. <laughs> that was nice. Mm. You know, um, we've had food given us, mm. you know, at times. Mm. And mm. Um, just, I mean, there's, there's a lot. And I knew this would happen. I'd forget mm. everything. But Not at all. Do I remember something about holidays? You were concerned you, you wouldn't be able to have holidays? Yes, we've, um, we've been given... Um, um, Oh, I'll tell you one thing that happened. <laughs> Somewhat, my cousin put some money into my bank account mm. and said, oh, this is for a holiday. It was exactly the amount of money yeah. I needed to pay for my ca our car to be fixed. Beautiful. Exactly. Beautiful. Beautiful. You know, I mean... Yeah. And I, I know you've got plenty of ex experiences and stories like that. And they, in turn become this treasure chest, don't they, of experiences that you bank of God's goodness, of his coming through. He is faithful to his promise. I'm still alive. I'm still eating. I've still got clothes and a, mm. a roof over your head. And, and you bank them for the next time. And, and you've mm. got this, you've accumulated all of these stories. I'd love you to um, 
be able to hear Rachel tell, tell more of these. Um, but I want to come on to Lauren too, because um, here's the third one. Thank you, Rachel, for now. Uh, here's the third one. Uh, the, I think of, of these big ones. So worldly money says, worship me, first of all. Uh, and, and then it says, worry about me. I think next, worldly money basically says, I'm all yours. I'm all yours. You know, you, you, you've got me, so you're only accountable to yourself. Do what you like. Spend it how you like. You know, it's all yours. Do what you like with it. Kingdom money says, I'm all God's. Somebody's already made, made a passing reference to that. Everything that we have is God's as a gift. It's, it's on loan to us to steward, to use well, to use widely. But one day we'll give an account for everything that we do, including what we do with our money and, and what we do with Jesus too, by the way. Um, Lauren, I think you said in your, as we were talking about this before, that's a dimension that you've been a bit struck by recently about this kind of longer term perspective. Can you say a bit about that and how it impacts your attitude and relationship with money now? Yeah, absolutely. Um, as a life group, recently we did a day of um, prayer and fasting, and um, for me, one of the things that God was really talking to me about throughout just, the day... Just hold the mic a little closer to your... Sorry. Um, one of the things that God was really speaking to me about during that day was um, the day of the Lord. And in the morning, I was, um, was really struck by a Bible reference about the day of the Lord and how everything comes good in the day of the Lord if, you know, we hold fast and we, we stand on the truth and we're faithful. And... Um, and I wasn't really certain what that day of the Lord meant, but essentially it's like coming back of Christ and actually we're called to live faithful, to be obedient and to, and to say these big yeses um, that these guys have talked about and that includes our finances. And, um, and, but throughout that day, just constantly keeping my perspective on that day of the Lord, um, God really spoke to me about um, <laughs> confession, not coveting, um, the life of luxury, as I might like to call it, um, of a family member who um, I, you know, sometimes I just think, gosh, I wish I could spend my money on what the hell I liked because I didn't have a God breathing down my neck. <laughs> and a, a confession moment. Um, Honestly, it's helpful. <laughs> um, We're all going, me too. <laughs> but, and actually, and also on the other hand of that, it's like, don't be afraid of this life of simplicity that I've called you to, this, mm. this life right. of obedience. And, right. and for, um, I'm really lucky to have a husband who is so much better at this than I am and who is really supportive. But, um, it's for us, it, we really hold this um, discipline of simplicity um, in our stuff, um, but also in our mindset, like trying to be really single-minded on, on God and um, keeping our eyes fixed on heaven. Keep, you know, that um, Colossians 3 verse, like keep your eyes fixed on the things of heaven where Jesus sits at the right-hand side of God. And, and that's really important. And so for us in our finances, it's probably less about, well, there are some big yeses in there, um, and you know we we hold our savings lightly, and where we see need, we're dead keen to 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 give into that need because actually, um, selfishly, it gives a nice warm, fuzzy glow <laughs> when when you, you've done good things. Um, mm. But but um, actually, in for me, it's more about the little no's and the little yeses on a day to day in finances. So just that, I guess it just sums up in that life of simplicity. Like we don't drive flashy cars, but I'd love to. Um, we, we don't necessarily have loads of um, nice things that we have plenty. We have, you know, we are so blessed. We are so ridiculously blessed. You know, I'm not saying that we live in a shack. We don't. Um, and it's that comparison 
the comparison thing, like don't compare upwards, mm. you know, mm. look at how much you've got mm. and how amazing that is and just mm. really be content with that. And so that's a philosophy my husband is fantastic at and I am working on. Um, <laughs> and, and so that's where, that's where we are, I think, is that, that simplicity. Yeah, love that. I love what you say about the little things. So we've, we've heard some big decision-making, but actually the, the little daily yeses is where the rubber hits the road in, in finances as much as in anything else. Thank you. Um, I think the enemy will always want us to reduce conversations like this to sort of simple things. And actually, there's something in most of us that wants rules. We still want rules, like how much and you know, what's okay and how much can we get away with and what, what size car is all right and what size house and, and, and all of that stuff. We've got to ditch all of that. This, the, these values express themselves differently and work out differently, don't they? Um, so it's not like there's some right answer to this, but the, the key thing is the values and the attitudes behind what, what we're hearing. It's the seeking first the kingdom of God and giving everything to him and, and, and recognizing where it comes from and we're going to be accountable for it. And in the light of all of that, Lord, you're an abundant father. You've said you'll provide, etc., etc. Um, our time has whizzed by it's ridiculously fast. I'm just going to say, uh, on, on that one, just on that eternal thing, in the verses that we've just read, store up treasure in heaven, not on earth. That gives us... I think that's about as close as we get to Jesus' guidance on spending, by the way. I think there's something there in the principle about investing in things that have eternal value. How does that work out on a kind of day-to-day -day basis? Which doesn't mean, you know, don't eat ice cream, because it's here. But you know what I mean. There's, there's something about what you put your money to. And I want to quote Rick Warren on this, who's extraordinary. Um, uh, he, he now gives 93, 94% of, of his income away. Um, and, he and he says, to, to people who say, yeah, but you wrote the world's best-selling book, so you would, wouldn't you? I would give that much away if I was you. And he says, no, you wouldn't. You wouldn't, because I cultivated a generosity when I was 11 or 10 or something, from, you know, as he's being brought in faith. And if you don't cultivate generosity then, you certainly won't be you know, generous at this point, because it's, it's nothing to do with the amount of money. It's more, it's more to do with uh, proportion. But, so Rick has, is, uh, has credibility in this area. Can I just quote a slightly long quote, and then I'm going to do one more thing, and then we'll stop. He says, the best use of my money is to use it getting people into heaven. Church, I urge you not to be flaky about this. The early church weren't. We can be so caught up in the here and now, so earthbound in our perspective that we live in this material world uh, as if this material world is all that there is and that death is the end. But if there is, is there anything that is more worthy of our money ultimately than using it to love people towards eternal life in relationship with Jesus in all the ways that we can? The kingdom means working to improve life this side of the grave for all, serving the poor, blessing the oppressed, healing the wounded, justice and dignity for all, better businesses, better services, better care for the environment, better quality of opportunity here and all around the globe. That is all part of loving in Jesus' name, he says. But the human heart is ultimately only transformed and brought alive by one thing. Life with the Father beyond the grave for all eternity only comes one way, and that's by surrender to Jesus as Lord. So for heaven's sake... Let's use our resources, our time, our talents, and our treasure. Use our affluence for influence. I like that line. To help others receive that same gift and love people towards Jesus. We store up treasure in heaven when we do that. And we commit to resourcing churches that love people enough to want them to see them in heaven. And work hard and pray hard and give sacrificially towards that goal. I think that's a challenging but, but good quote. I'm going to put one more slide up if that's okay. Um, just skip two, please, Hudson. And the next one. Here are four more things that worldly money says, and then in italics, kingdom money replies. And I'm not even going to comment on them, but I'm going to invite the panel. If you want to comment on any of them, you've, you've got the mic, so you can. 
Generosity is good, says worldly money, but not yet, because you can't afford to be generous just yet. Just wait till you've got a bit more. Compare upwards, Lawrence just mentioned that, so compare with the people who've got more rather than recognizing how much we've got. So what's an antidote to that? Worldly, a kingdom money says, be thankful. Be so thankful. Everything's come from the Lord. Avoid clarity in your finance. I'm scared about money. I don't want to know. Uh, just keep it vague, whatever. Wisdom says, no, learn wisdom. Uh, variety of scriptures, haven't got time for them. Uh, and the worldly money says, keep accumulating. Like the guy with the barns. Keep accumulating. Bigger and bigger barns. Standard of living. Up and up and up and up. Bible says... There's something called enough. There is a concept called enough. It's called contentment. And it's nothing to do with how much you've got materially once your basic needs have been covered. And all the secular research, by the way, says that once you've covered your basic needs, more money does, never, does not equal more happiness. That's secular research. Uh, Paul says, I've learned to be content. It's not automatic, but we can, we can learn it. Is there anything there that strikes you because you've got the mic and any of you that you just want to add or comment on, on any of those things? I think um, the most powerful thing there is learning contentment. Um, that that being thankful and and knowing actually how blessed we are. I think that unlocks a lot. Mm. Yeah, um, I, I, contentment. I think is a is a huge thing. Mm. Um, Dare I say this, um, because I've got two young adults as, as children, um, also I think, no, and I speak personally actually as well, comparing with other people, mm. you know, maybe in terms of striving for success, striving for financial gain, striving, um, you know, in that way, ambition is good, but I think you cannot be, still be ambitious and want to be successful in what you do, but be content at the same time. I think, I think that's really important. Yeah. Agreed. And I th I, can I just say one thing? Course, um, yeah. It's not on there. Um, I think if anyone does have worries about money and you go to God, he is faithful. He's, he is so faithful mm -hmm. and it is scary, but there's nothing to be scared of because God loves us. That is a, a beautiful note to end on. It's where we started in, in the idea of faithfulness, God's faithfulness to us being the, the rock on which we stand uh, and, and that we can fully trust him, which is scary, but actually safe because of who he is. Thanks, Rach. Can we show our appreciation for... <laughs> the, um, <laughs>